Brilliant. Okay, I'll do intros. Um, hi, everybody. Great to see you all again for another week of the Habura. Um, we're continuing the series of uh, Safardi principles as seen through Teshubot. Um, not much housekeeping this week. Uh, the essays, as we've said, they're all in. We're trying to do the design and things like that. Tomorrow, myself, Rabbi Dweck and Avi Garson will be meeting to put together the curriculum for January to June. So very, very, very exciting stuff uh, that will all be shared with you uh, once that is all complete. Uh, tonight we will be discussing, well, we'll be having the Rav analyze one of Rav Yosef Kafach's uh, Teshubot on invoking God in daily life. Uh, the Rav, it's, uh, the stage is all yours. I'm looking forward it is. To about okay. the Rav as well uh, as the Teshubah. Can I yes. just ask a question? Yes, please. Yes. Could you look at the chat and answer that question, please? I don't see any questions on the chat. Yeah, it didn't seem to be any there. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Is the video on? Yeah. We should to turn it uh, on. There. Yeah. Oh, that's not for here or now. I know. So I apologize. I can't speak about that at the okay. moment. Okay. All right. It's an organization here in the UK. Thank but you. I'll, I'll send you, send me an email and I'll send you and if everyone can mute would be brilliant yes, thank you very much mute everyone um okay so there here's the so the question is we have so abi garson he has made a source sheet so what i'm going to do is i'm going to share the screen with that source sheet because he's placed um with tremendous uh, foresight, the actual Teshuba on the source sheet. So I'm going to put that up here um, first. Okay, so everybody sees that, right? So this is where we, we're going to start over here in this Teshuba. Avi also put a little bit of a bio biography of Rav Kafer. Um, I will say about Rav Kafer that um, he is definitely, you know, Zachur Latov. Uh, it, although he did so much in his life, if for nothing else, in translating the the works of Harambam, and for that matter, Ibn Sa'ad Yagaon, and for that matter, Ibn Bahyeh, Ibn Pakuda, and, and others, from Arabic into Hebrew. And it's, he wasn't the first one to do that, but his, his translations are just phenomenal. His translations are, in my opinion, the best uh, translations into Hebrew. And one of the beautiful things that you sense and you see, for example, in his translation of the Morene Bukhim, is the language of Harambam is, is preserved, right? You can hear, I mean, if you're used to Harambam writing from the Mishneh Torah, you can hear Harambam in the way that the Rav Kafir um, translates. So that was in itself was a massive work of his life. He also wrote a perush on the entire Mishneh Torah of Harambam. Uh, and it's a, a set that I proudly, that I proudly have that uh, in many, many times where I've had questions on Harambam's treatment of a halakha, or I've had questions about things that were contradictory or difficult passages, um, Rav Kafra just had this very clear and clean logical treatment of Harambam's uh, thought. And there are places, several places, where you know many of the mefarshim get all into major discussions about what it could be that the Rambam meant and Rav Kafrich just adds like one little bit into the thing and cleans it up very, very eloquently and elegantly. Um, and so Rav Kafrich was an expert in Rambam. 
uh, he spent his entire life learning Harambam, and much of that was because he was Temani. He was a Yemenite Jew, and you know, the Yemenite Jews owe basically their whole uh, you know survival to the Rambam because uh, there was a time where they were being persecuted very very badly during Harambam's time, during the, the lifetime of the Rambam, and they wrote to the Rambam. Uh, saying that they were told by their scholars, by their rabbis, that if they did mitzvot undercover, um, while they were outwardly showing themselves to be Muslim, that their mitzvot didn't count, or that the mitzvot didn't matter. And the Rambam wrote a very famous um, letter back to them called the Igirat Teman, and where he, he strengthens them and says, absolutely not, of course you can and should do the mitzvot. And he goes through all discussion about what it is to be in a state of persecution and why persecution. He goes through a whole discussion, really an excellent, um, not for me to say that it's excellent, but just the most beautiful letter of Harambam, which I've given class on, and it's on my app. I think it's, it's the Yigeret Teman. I, I, I've given a series of of lessons on it on on my on the RJD app, so you can you can access that if you like, um, if you have an iPhone. There's we don't have the app yet for an Android, um, and it's 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 interesting because the Temani Jews for a very long time after that in the Kaddish would say they would say in the Kaddish, they would add in your life and our life and in the life of our master, Rabbi Moshe Bar Maimon. They included him in the Kaddish because he was so central to uh, to their survival and, and strength. So Rav Kafer uh, also had access to some very uh, important manuscripts in the lang you know, in the actual um, text of, of the Mishneh Torah and of Arambam's words and writings. And he did a lot of correction um, as far as that's concerned. So what he does, what we're going to look at over here, has a series of writings, right? They kind of, it looks like this for now in this edition, just katavim. Katavim just means writing. And what I've decided to do uh, for our session tonight in looking through the lens of various teshuvot of Sfaradim across, across uh, history uh, in order to be able to gain some idea of principles and approach is this particular work that he, this particular uh, you know, essay that he wrote on this practice that he wanted to address that all of us are probably familiar with and that people started to write Beit Samech Dalid or Beit Hay or Beit Ein Hay on the top of papers when they would write. So, you know, religious Jews would do this to show their piety that they had God in everything that they did. And I can tell you that growing up, if I didn't put that on the top of my paper, I always got something for it, either by my teachers in, in, in Jewish day school or even by contemporaries, you know, later on, if I didn't write that at the top of my page, they were like, why don't you write that at the top of your page? You should write it. And actually, there was a question, although I think I got overruled, although I don't know how because I'm a senior rabbi, uh, as to whether I kind of just gave in, as to whether when we printed our stationery and our letterheads, um, when we rebranded whether I should, that Beit Samechdal should be at the top of the page, and I was against it. I didn't think that it should be, but I think that I was overruled. Let me check. I don't remember. I think, yeah, yeah, it's there. See, look. It's there. Can you see? So nonetheless, although it wasn't my choice, uh, but, you know, you'll, we're going to look at this and understand why I didn't want that. And what Rav Kafir does in this Teshuvah is it's not really a teshubah, it's kind of like a treatment, an explanation as to why, first of all, what he thinks about it. And in the end, he writes, really, it's not a good idea to do. It shouldn't be done. 
Um, but he points out, you know, uh, why it is that he thinks it shouldn't be done. Now, I'm going to say before we actually dive into it, and then we will dive into it, that I think that the majority of his treatment of it is off. And I say that with respect. Um, but the reason I say that is because you have to, in order to be able to understand uh, the Rav's treatment, you have to assume certain things that he assumed, right? And so when I say it's off, I don't mean that he has shalom was off. I mean that he has to be looking at it in a very specific way in order for him to have to deal with it the way that he's dealing with it. And we'll get there and understand it. Um, but there's more that I want to say uh, around it, you know, uh, that, that we'll look at. So we're going to start with, with the Teshubah. I'll bring it up over here. I don't know if everybody can see it. I'll kind of like open it and make it a little bit larger. Okay. So we're starting up here, B'me'ot Shanim. yes? B'me'ot Shanim Ha'aronot Hitpatah. He says last hundred years, few hundred years, there was this, there's this practice, this custom that emerged. He thinks that it's from Eastern Europe originally. And from Eastern Europe, it spread out even among the Sfaradim. And as to the majority of the lands that were called the East, that what I'm referring to is this custom to flag at the top of the page or to put a sign at the top of the page, you know, uh, which means with the help of God, either in Hebrew or in Aramaic. Bezrat Hashem means with the help of God, means with the help of heaven. In now, I mean, truth is, it didn't spread entirely to every one of the Eastern countries. I mean, as a matter of fact, one of the, the nations that didn't take this on were the Yemenites. The Yemenite Jews never did this. And it's not once or twice that I heard people uh, criticizing us, the, the Yemenite Jews, for not doing this, right? Counting us amongst those who don't do it. Right? Some people did it with a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, vitriol against me that, you know, we don't do it, the Yemenites don't do this. And since there's this whole thing that started up and people feel very strongly about putting this thing at the top of the page, and if you don't put it at the top of the page, it might indicate that you don't really have, you know, the fear of heaven or you're concerned about your religiosity. Therefore, I said, I'm going to open up this issue and delve into its, its matters. I'm actually going to look and think, you know what? Maybe those who came before us were actually correct. Uh, and he's going to say, essentially, actually correct and not putting it on the pages, as you'll see. Uh, who is it? The Yemenites, right? He's saying, maybe we were right in not doing this. You know, maybe there's a reason why we don't do this. Before we go into the, the actual, uh, you know, issues themselves, let's look at what practice was historically, he says. And I'm not just talking about the practice of the Jews of Yemen earlier. I'm talking about Jews in general. Throughout history, let's take a look. I mean, it's not like we don't have any documentation from far back in history. They should have something at the top of the page if this is a thing that we're supposed to do. I'm talking about Kadmole Klal Israel. I'm talking about those who came early on 
in Klal Yisrael. Harbe mikhtavim, harbe garot, harbe shaylot uchuvon. We have tons of letters, of, of scrolls, of responsa from throughout history. Nitgalub genizot megeonim hakadmonim. We have things that we found in all kinds of, uh, you know, in the genizas of various places and all kinds of, of areas from the Rambam himself, Ubne Doro, and all people within his time and his generation. And even of the generations after him. So we certainly have evidence to be able to examine to see if this was a practice. He says, and look how astonishing it is, right? Would you believe, says Rav Kafrich, it's wondrous, Pele, he says, it's unbelievable that not one of these documents that we find in our whole Geniza have this stuff at the top of it. Not a bet ein hey, not a bet samech dalet, not a bet hey, none of it. It's not written on top of any of them. Ha'yitachen she'adavar novaya mitoch ha'eder yidat chovatam. I mean, could it possibly be that they missed this? That they didn't realize their obligation in writing this at the top of the page and they didn't do it? Says Rav Kafir. Right? I'm, not, I'm not paraphrasing here. I'm translating exactly what he says. You think that they were just completely uneducated, that they missed this? I mean, we certainly cannot say that they were just being, you know, careless or absent minded, that they forgot to put it at the top of the page. I mean, yeah, that happens, of course, once or twice. But you're going to tell me that in all of the documentation that we found, in all of the Geniza, in everything that we have in our hands from all of these generations before, not one of them have this at the top of the page. You can't say that they just were careless or forgot. You can't say that forgetfulness is systematic throughout the entire situation. We are left with only one option, and that is that there must be some thought around it, right? In other words, there is either a decision to or not to do this thing. And if there was a decision in later generations to do it, we have to question why is it that in the generations past, they didn't do it. There's got to be a reason. Now, Rav Kaver, from this point on, of course, has to speculate the reason, yeah? So we're gonna follow his understanding of what lies behind the writing of this at the top of the pages nowadays, right? And we're going to learn something from his understanding of what the practice is today based on how it is that he answers the question. Because obviously, if I'm going to answer the problem, I have to be able to see the, the practice today is meaning something. And if I'm going to address that meaning, I have to be able to understand it, what it means to the people today so that I can, I can negate it. So we're going to have to recognize through the Rav Kafech's treatment how he understands what the writing of Bet Samechdal and Bet Ainhe at the top of a page is meant to be to the people who do it. So he writes as follows. He says, he goes, before we get into the issue, I will say that at least as far as the Yemenite Jews are concerned, they are endorsed by the previous generations, by the fact that we don't find it anywhere in previous generations either, Yemenite or otherwise. 
And then he continues. He says, Leo Matzot. He goes, now I will say, I'm going to be honest. He says, we do actually find something that people did write on their papers in the earlier generations when they wrote occasionally. And what was that? They would lamid kuf yod. And what did lamid kuf yod stand for? kiviti adonai. Right, that's the yod. It's yod kevavke. And that simply means that I have hope. I hope for your salvation, God. Right? That is a pasuk in the Torah. So, in Bereshit. So he says, I mean, we don't really have to delve too deep to be able to understand why this pasuk specifically was the one that people used to put at the top of their papers. I mean, if there was one thing that was supposed to be on the minds of the people all the time, it was the salvation of God. And he writes, he, he treats that further. He says, Indeed, the Hachamim Zechronam Lebracha taught us, gave us this teaching that when a person dies and, and enters into judgment with God, they're going to ask him questions. And among the questions that they will be asked is in your life, sir, member of Israel, did you hope for, look for, look forward to the salvation of God? And what is the salvation of God or that, that they're referring to? What we would call in our vernacular Mashiach, right? The emergence of the nation of Israel as a free and sovereign people far included. So according to the Hachamim in Masechet Shabbat, this is one of the things that a person is asked in terms of the treatment of his entire life. Did you spend your life looking forward to the salvation? I mean, it's clear from their words that a person has to be looking forward to the salvation of God the entire life that he lives, all the days of his life. And the reason is simple. Atam Pashut, he says, we're over here, by the way. Yeah, down here. I don't know if you can see my cursor when I put the cursor. No, you can. You can see it, right? So the var pashut. It's over here. Very simple. Atam pashut. Kedesh elo yishka. No, no. Kedesh elo yishka ezrah beeres lolo. He says the reason that we look forward to the salvation all the time. Interestingly, this is already something that we learned from the from the Rav from Rav Kafer. Why should we look forward to Mashiach? Rav Kafer says it's very simple, it's very logistical why it is that we look forward to Mashiach. We should never get comfortable in a foreign country. That's it. You should know that the Jews are not a religion primarily, but a nation. And you are a visiting nation in another nation. You are an expat, always. And if you are an expat, always, you should always be thinking about when you get back home. How you will return to the mother soil in a sovereign land as a sovereign people. That's it. And so the great ones or the pious ones in previous generations, they would write Lamed Kuf Yud on the top of their page to always have their focus on that. I always look for your salvation, God, in being able to redeem our nation and bring us back to sovereignty as a people on our land. So he says, um, there's a pasuk in Yirmiyahu 
that says nobody is looking after Tzion, which means that nobody's thinking about how do we get back to Zion, right? That's the Zionist ideal, yeah, in the Pasuk. How do we get back to Zion? Nobody's donation. What do the Hachamim say the Pasuk means? They say, From the fact that the Pasuk says nobody's Doresh, right? Nobody's looking after how we get back, teaches us that you're supposed to look. You're supposed to think that we got to get back. And that's Masechet Sukkah, Aleph. From the fact that the, the Pasuk says nobody's doing it, you learn that people are supposed to doing it, supposed to be doing it. Lefichach, in Pele, I mean, it's not, it's not surprising that in, in Yemen, when they were filled to the brim with all of the words of the Hachamim Zechonam Nebracha, I mean, that's all they did was study it. So the Jews of Yemen, all of their days, looked forward to the Geulah. And the desires of the days of Mashiach stood always at the center of their of their thoughts. Kaspam v'chmehem. Kaspam is not their money. Although money comes from the same word. What does kesef mean in Hebrew? Anybody know? The word kesef? Kisufim, longing. What is it? Kisufim is longing. Longing, desire, exactly. Right? So money is desire. It's interesting because heshek is also in Hebrew desire. And it's always beautiful to see that in the building of the Mishkan, which people don't like to read very much, Moshe decides, and this is his own decision, to make the hashukim, which bind the poles of the Mishkan, out of kesef. And there's a pasuk, a beautiful pasuk that plays, hashukehem kasef, right? The hashukim were made of kesef, which of course, what else would they be made of, right, other than kesef? But kmiha and kisuf is desire, longing, all that they yearned for was the coming of the Mashiach, the days of salvation. Not so much were they concerned about the salvation of Mashiach, they would not build stone houses in Yemen because they would have to move at any point. They didn't want to establish themselves firmly there. Even they could afford it. They didn't do it, right? That's uh, reminiscent of Avraham Avinu. You think Avraham Avinu lived in the tent because he couldn't afford to buy a house? He was an exorbitantly wealthy man. And they built things in that time. And people think that, that that's all they built with, with tents. I mean, they built the Tower of Babel, for goodness sakes. You think they couldn't build a nice house out of stone? They lived in tents on purpose. On purpose. So uh, he, he says that, that was the way that they lived their lives. They looked forward to the days of the Mashiach. And therefore... Uh, they should never, they, they didn't build uh, stone houses, so they should never look like that they were, they were, they had given up on the salvation and the redemption. They would look after it every day and every hour. As it says in Masechet Sanhedrin, they asked Eliyahu Navi, the Hachamim asked Eliyahu Navi, Eliyahu, when is the Mashiach coming? And he said to them, He'll come today if you're able to listen to the voice of God and like, you know, get your lives in order. There's nothing keeping him. It's just a matter of, you know, finding our way. And the, the process of Galut, of the exile, is just the process of finding our way and getting our, our ducks in order. If we look at it very simply. Right until here, we can talk about why they wrote Lishuat Chakiviti on their papers. Okay, so that, that's where that practice comes from. 
But we really now have to look at the other thing, this bet samachdalet, bet ainhe, bet he business, where a person is asking, you know, basically putting at the top of the paper, God help me. Yeah? Okay. He says, machshavti. We have to look at the thought behind why didn't they write this on their papers? It's one thing to say that they were looking for the redemption and, and you know hoping for the days of Mashiach, but why didn't they ask for the help of God on the top of their papers? Now here is where we have to look at what Rav Kafir is understanding this to mean. right? What does he understand putting this at the top of the paper indicate? So he says, we see in the next line, he says, look, there's an argument. So he says, look, what we have to do in order to be able to deal with this is, is to go to this, this old question regarding God and his involvement in our lives. Does God control everything that occurs every detail and every movement that occurs in the world and in our lives to the point that when I pick up a, a pen or a lighter or whatever, highlighter, and I put it and I, and I use it and, and I highlight a line, that God is there powering that, managing that, moving that as I do that? Or is a human being free to be able to do these things as he chooses to do and wishes to do, and that God does not get involved in those particular things that he does. And his desires are given into his hands. And he can do what he wants as he wants. Without any direction, uh, manipulation, or motivation, right? Mechanation, right? From on high. Yeah. Is that possible? So he goes, in order to be able to explain this further, this point, and Rav Kafir here is saying, this is the key to our question. I disagree with him. I don't think it's the key to our question, but he believes that it's the key to our question. And it's significant to see that this is what he thinks because he sees this as a very serious problem. And that is, he goes, in order to be able to deal with this, I have to bring the Rambam. Now, before we look at the Rambam, I want to clarify what Rav Kafech is saying over here. Okay? Rav Kafech is now taking this action, right? This behavior of putting the Bet Samechda, at the top of the page as somehow an acceptance of the fact that God manipulates or influences my actions my specific detailed actions. And that when I put this at the top of the page, when I'm about to write a letter, I'm about to write a, you know, a list, a market, supermarket list, or I'm gonna, which people put it on top of everything, right? They put it on top, whatever it is, I'm gonna do this. 
that I need God's help in this action, that I need him to be able to move me in this action. So Rav Kafir has understanding it that way. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? He understands people putting this at the top of their page to ask God to move me through this thing, right? And everything that he's going to, to write forward over here, his quotes of the Rambam are going to be proofs that we don't believe that God does that, right? We don't believe that God, uh, you know, uh, walks me through the supermarket as I'm doing, making my list or as I'm picking up my list. He doesn't walk me through even the writing of my list. He doesn't walk me through the way that I move my pen and pencil on the paper. And my putting a bit ein here, a bit at the top of the paper indicates that that's what I believe. Do you hear what I'm, where, where we're getting over here? Do you ever understand what, what, what Afkafer is seeing happening over here? Now. It's almost like a theological uh, issue. Well, of course it's theological that. because it's a question of where I should invoke God's name. Of course it is. I'm just saying that the way that Afkafer is understanding the, the practice is this, that it means that if I put that on the top of my page, I believe contrary to what he's about to quote in the Rambam. And what is contrary to what he's about to quote in the Rambam? That God does uh, manipulate, influence my specific local actions, my micro actions, right? And therefore, I put that on top of the page to invoke God's help in those things, right? To invoke God's, God's manifestation in those things. Um, so you understand this. You hear this. This is how Rav Kafir understands the practice of putting the Beit Samechdal at the top of the page. So what he now proceeds to do is quote two things in the Rambam, one uh, at the beginning of Pirkei Avot, and two at, uh, in Hilchot Yesodea Torah. And they both basically say the same thing. Okay, and this is what, this is what they say. And then what it does is negate the idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is involved in the micromanagement of our lives. Yeah, he says this. Aval adavar mefursam. This is now the Rambam writing. This is a quote of the Rambam. Aval adavar mefursam is Rabbi Adam ve'efshalim so b'tevrei hachamim b'rishonot ketuvim kemoto. He says it's very uh, you know common knowledge among people, even among the hachamim. Says Rambam. She amidat haAdam ve'shivato that the standing and sitting of her human being v'chol tenuotav and all of his motions happen. By the will of God. What does that mean by the will of God in the basic sense that he's quoting it over here? That God says, I wish that you move your hand up. I wish that you move your hand down. I wish that you turn your head to the right. God's decreeing all of this as it happens, right? Now, the Rambam says, if we're completely honest, it is true, but only in a sense. It's true in the following sense says the Rambam. It's like saying, you know, if I throw a rock in, in the air and it drops to the floor, is it appropriate to say that Is it appropriate to say that the rock went up and fell in the trajectory that it did by the will of God? Is that, the, is that a correct thing to say? And he says, yes. I mean, in the macro sense, it is a correct thing to say. Because the reason why the rock rose and fell as it did is because there are laws of nature that were imposed by God. 
And so ultimately, the laws of nature are the desire of God. And when things follow laws of nature, they follow the desire of God. But not that God is manipulating this specific rock and dropping it to the ground, right, in his own great holiness. So that's basically what the Rambam writes over here. God wanted particular things in nature to be a certain way. And so too, the fact that fire, that heat rises and that other things fall. It's not that God wanted that to happen now for this specific thing. No. Rather, he says, no, we don't believe that. Yeah, I know I skipped. I went down, yeah? But he says, we don't believe that. Our belief is not that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has direct manipulation or involvement in those specific things, in those micro things. God's desire was set in the six days of creation that nature should be a certain way. And so anytime that you throw a rock, there's laws of physics. The laws of physics are the Ratzon Hashem. Yes, they're the desire of God. And everything should run in the way that its nature is, because the nature that things run is the will of God. As King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, what was will be, what happened will be, will be what happens. It's always going to be running in terms of the way that the world runs, and that's it. In light of that point, a world runs as its normal function. You will find that may they rest in peace, means that they always veer away from talking in terms that HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually manipulates micro-actions. It's only that way that they mean that if a person stood or if a person said God wanted that to be. It's not that God wanted that specific action to be, but that God wanted that this should be the way that things run in the world. God instituted and instilled in the human condition and function various realities and, and, and systems. That he should stand and sit by his own will. Not that God said, okay, now you get up, you sit down. That's not how Kadosh Baruch Hu runs, according to our belief. Just as he didn't want the rock, this particular rock, to fall in this particular place. In the same exact way that God decided humans should look a certain way, like the structure of the human body should be a certain way, so too he decided the function of the human brain should be a certain way. And the function of human consciousness should be a certain way. And that he should have free will. And that there's nothing that is compelling him to act in one way or another. His will is his own, and it is, and it is genuinely free. As far as our belief is concerned, the Rambam presents. This Arambam says that you read the Pasuk 
הן האדם היה כאחד ממנו לדעת טוב ורע, should have a comma in a peculiar place, right? Not the, not the Peshat reading. The Turgum put the comma in a, a different kind of reading, an allegorical reading. So when God says, הן האדם היה כאחד ממנו לדעת טוב ורע, which the basic plain reading is, oh, look, the human has become like one of us, knows the difference between good and evil. The Turgum says, place the comma differently. הן האדם היה כאחד. This human has become unique in the world, comma. Aside from him, knowing good and evil, there is none. He's the only one that has the ability to be able to recognize the difference between good and evil and act accordingly and judge by his own free will how it is that he's going to be. That's how that line should be read. And the Rambam reiterates that as in the quote in Hilchot Eshubah later on. And since he now has free will and can do whatever it is that he wants, we better get him out of the garden because I can't force him not to do things. I can't force him not to take of the tree of life. All I can do is throw him out of the garden, put a defense mechanism, you know, a, 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 you know, a system around the, around the tree. But I can't tell him, I can't force him not to do it because the definition of human is that he has free will and I'm not going to stop the thing that I made human. It's be equivalent to, to turning him into a toad so that he doesn't take the thing from the tree. It would literally be the exact thing, same thing. In order, if God were to stop or halt the human free will from being able to reach out and take the, 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 the fruit from the tree, it would be the exact same thing as God turning him into a toad so that he shouldn't take the fruit from the tree, because both of them would be changing the fundamental nature of humanity. And what God is saying is, I'm not going to do that. What I've got, to, I created him. This is what I created. I'm not going to change my creation in order to be able to stop him from doing it. I'm just going to have to throw him out of the garden. Now, if any of you are wondering about this well-known thing about Paro and his heart being hardened and his free will being taken and so on and so forth, that's not for tonight's shiur, but the Rambam deals with that in Hilchot And one day I'm sure we'll be able to give a shiur on that which I would be happy to do, or you can read it on your own in the fourth uh, perik. I think it's fifth perik, actually. Yeah? So this is what the Rav Kafir is bringing out. You see what Rav Kafir is doing over here? You guys see? Who wants to tell me what Rav Kafir is doing over here? I'm asking you. Speak. At your own free will. What is he doing over here? Why is he doing? Why is he bringing all of this from the Rambam? And what have we learned from this? He's using it to uh, disprove. Disprove what? Yeah, you, you've, you've got Oops. to mute it. To mute, unmute. There, you're now unmuted. He's he's doing to yeah. disprove what? What was earlier thought to be necessary? Which is what specifically? <laughs> Oh, the the need for this uh, uh, this uh, uh, inserting a a, a, a symbol. Um, and what is the symbol coming to me? How did the Rambam understand the symbol? What is the symbol coming to mean? The the symbol was to uh, uh, was coming to to mean that the Hashem was controlling the actual action. Correct. And, That's and the what Rambam, I wanted to hear. The Kadosh was controlling the micro actions. And the Rambam yeah. here is bringing this text from the Rambam. Rambam. Excuse me, the Rav Kafir has bring this text from the Rambam to show that that is not how we believe. That's and correct. That is the, uh, thank you. And that is the impetus. And the reason for the behavior or the practice 
of putting that thing on the top of the page, here we have evidence that it is not the way that we think. The question, of course, is, is that indeed the reason for the practice? Is Rav Kafeh accurate in, in assuming that that's the reason for the practice? So the only problem that we have over here, and I would say, is that it's not clear. I wonder if you ask, you know, if you take a cross-section of people who put this at the top of their papers, why do they do it? Would they say, because I believe that God is micromanaging all of my actions and I need to put that therefore on the top of my page. I'm not so no, sure. Yeah, the, the, they're saying because my father did it or well, no, my... I'm, not, I'm saying I'm yeah. not saying it because of because yeah. of rote. I'm right. saying if a person thoughtfully understood, why am I putting this at the top of the page? Right? I mean, there are intelligent people who do this. Why 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 am I putting this on the page? I'm not so sure that their response would be because I believe that God micromanages my actions. Right? Right. And is there any um who's speaking it's been to written me? somewhere that, that where speaking? this practice I just don't see you say your name, so I know who's talking. Sorry, it's Robert here. Robert's yes, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll switch on my video if you want. That's um, always helpful. Please switch on your video if you can. I always prefer video. Thank you. Um, sorry, you know, ha have we found it documented in modern poskim that, 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 that this practice came about? Or are we saying there, there is no documented evidence that... There's no documented evidence. It's a practice. But it became a very prevalent practice among, you know, the contemporary Orthodox religious society. Do you know when it became a, a very... He suggests that it started a few hundred years ago in Eastern Europe. But I, I don't know that there's an accurate, uh, you know, point of origin for all of this. I don't know if anybody else does. Shmuley Phillips speaking. Rav Shmuley. Hi. Um, it could be I'm, I'm too uh, based too much on the writings of Haramban himself, but mm -hmm. I always thought based on what Ramban writes in Marina Buchim about how we're supposed to focus our thoughts on God as much as we can throughout the day, but this sort of practice of writing really helps us to fulfill that function. So it's an so interesting in mundane activities, we're able to focus ourselves, not necessarily the theological implications that Lovecraft has, has written, but just the fact that even our mundane activities, we're still thinking about God, as Ramban emphasizes. A very interesting point that you make. And it's true that the Rambam says that, but I'm going to point out from the Morin Nebuchim that it looks like from the Rambam, this isn't a very good practice. And I do think that, and this is my, again, this is not what Rav Kavach says, I'm going to point out from the Moreh, from my understanding of the Moreh, because Harambam does say that, but he also says that one has to be extremely careful that when you are putting out HaKadosh Baruch Hu in your mind, that you're doing it with intent and that you know who you're speaking about and what it's about. And it can't just be some careless thing at the top of a supermarket list, right? And where I'm just putting something on the top of my page. And that may very well be the case because it's the case even with our own prayers, if we're honest with ourselves. We, we pray every single day and don't think about God. So how am I putting this on the top of my supermarket list and saying that I'm thinking about God and doing something noble? We have to be very careful about that. And I'll show that in the Rambam, the morning of the But you are absolutely correct that the ideal, of course, is Shiviti Adonai Linigdi Tamit, right? Is that it's a pasuk. I, I place God in front of me at all times. So if this is something that helps me place God in front of me at all times, say there. But that's the question of Rav Kafer. Now, what's much more powerful, again, in my opinion, in Rav Kafer's Teshuvah is not this point. 
Although this is a very important lesson, right? This is a huge theological lesson, right? In terms of how it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu deals with our lives. And it's something that many people don't necessarily think of or understand. I've had people, I've had rabbis many times argue with me on this point, you know, and quote a Maran Hulin Dafhet that shows otherwise. Yeah, and except that they look at that Gemara out of context. Because it says that there's not a blade of grass that grows without HaKadosh Baruch Hu whipping it, saying it to grow, you know, a Malach whipping it, telling it to grow. The only thing they miss is that that entire sugya talks about witchcraft. And that witchcraft assumes that there are alternative sources for things that can occur. And all that Gemara is saying, there's not a blade of grass that grows in this on this planet that HaKadosh Baruch is not under HaKadosh Baruch Hu's jurisdiction, so to speak. That's what it's, that's the way that, that it means. In any case, I'm not going to read through the entire um, uh, se section that he brings from uh, the Mishneh Torah. It's essentially the same idea and the same point. So you can look at that if you wish in the Mishneh Torah, in Hilchot Teshubah, but it's, it's genuinely the same, the same idea and the same concepts uh, where he simply reiterates it. Yeah. So now what I'd like to do is I'd look, like to look at the second point, and that is over here. And he says, look, he says, He says, based on what I've explained over here, that God doesn't micromanage our behaviors, there's really no place to put this at the top of our papers. And he says, He goes, either way you look at it. He says, If the content of what it is that I'm writing are good and wonderful things, right? They're divrei mitzvah. That person gets reward from God for engaging in a, in a praiseworthy endeavor. God's not compelling you to do the good thing that you're writing. You're writing a thank you note to someone. You're writing a get well card to someone. You're writing uh, words of Torah on a paper, you know, that are, that are wonderful hidushim and thought. All of those wonderful things that you're writing to somebody, yeah, a, a letter, you know, telling someone that you're thinking of them, making them happy. All those things are in mitzvah to do. So, okay, you're doing that. First of all, God's not compelling you to do that. He's not getting involved in that particular thing. You have free will to be able to do that. And second of all, you get reward for doing it. So why is God at the top of the page? You know, helping you write this get well let card or helping you write this, this, these chidushet Torah. Why is that put on the top of the page? Okay. I mean, if you're assuming that God's doing this for you, then why would you get reward for it? Says of Kafir. I mean, then you're saying that you're really not doing it on your own, that God's doing it for you, and therefore you shouldn't get reward for it. Or maybe it's happening together with God. And the only reason anything good comes out of it is because the God part in it. Maybe that's what you think. He goes, He goes, it doesn't make sense. You're a free person. You're able to do the things on your own. If you do something good, you do it on your own as a good person. And God gives you the reward. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. He says, on the other hand, if you're writing something that isn't good, right? You're writing something that's, you know, forget about Lashon Ara, just something that's, you know, maybe wrong or incorrect or untrue or what have you. You're putting God at the top of that page? You've got to have a little bit of reverence before you decide to put God at the top of something that isn't up and up and, and on a, in a positive nature. 
you're putting it, Gam im aitai ger divrei hevel, she'en ba'em lechaorah lo mitzvah velo abera, even if it wasn't Lashon Ara, maybe it was just nonsense, right? You're writing down, uh, you know, who knows what you're writing down. I don't know what you're writing down. Stuff that doesn't have any to do with anything. Yeah, not anything particularly valuable or meaningful. Doing absolutely nothing meaningful, says Rav Kafir, is against the Jewish thought of what's right and proper to do. You shouldn't be sitting around doing nothing, writing mishkebabel nonsense on a paper. In the laws of theft and loss, in the sixth chapter, he says, There is a prohibition for people to engage in meaningless, fruitless endeavors. Person is only supposed to be engaged in things of wisdom and productivity. Now, I will say, as a slight side over here, it, it may be at certain times in our lives productive not to do anything. I'm just saying. That in itself can be productive. What Harambam is saying over here is you should not simply do nothing with your time when you can be being can be engaged in productivity and uh, and not waste one's life away. He goes on and on to say, then you don't get reward, you don't get punishment. If God's doing what it is that you want him to do, what you want to do, and you invoke him to be able to do this, and so on and so forth. And so therefore, we don't put this at the top of our page. I want to make a little point over here, though, because people can misunderstand. There's absolutely nothing wrong, and it is absolutely encouraged to ask God for help. There's a massive difference between assuming that God does things for you and God assisting you, supporting you, providing you know, uh, strength for you to do it. And we see that throughout the entire Torah, all of Tehillim, the whole of Tanakh. And there has to be a delineation between the two. What the Rambam is talking about is not God helping you. What the Rambam is talking about is God usurping your free will. And God helping a human being is not equivalent to usurping a human being's free will. There's a massive difference. Is it not true that Moshe Rabbeinu, before he dies, says that you should never say, that the strength of my hand is what got me all of this, self, you know, this achievement? Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who gives you the strength to do all that you do. Does that mean that God is manipulating you? No. Does it mean that God is usurping your free will? Absolutely not. It means that you're powered by God. That the source of your capacity to do is by God. And that if you fall short or are weak of being able to accomplish something, but your will is to do that thing of your own, God helps you. Doesn't the Gemara say that a person who comes to purify himself, they help him? Who's they? Heaven. Doesn't it say all over the place that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our Ezra and Moshiach, that he's the one who saves us? Do we not say every single day in our Amidah that he's Melech Ozer or Moshiach or Magen? Of course we do. 
And it is expected that a person should expect and ask for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help and assistance in every endeavor. That's not what Rav Kafrich is bringing out over here. And therefore, what I say is, if a person decides to put that on the top of their page, because it's something that they want to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for, that they want his genuine, what is written, with the help of heaven, with the help of God, if that's their kavanah, hinematov. The question is, is that their kavanah? And is it needed for a shopping list? Or for that matter, is it needed even for a teshubah of divrei Torah and so on and so forth? Maybe. But it should be done with intent is the point. A person should not simply put it at the... They, they shouldn't necessarily be printed at the top of letterheads automatically. Who knows what I'm going to write on that thing, right? This is God's name and God's help that we're invoking over here. It is not to be used casually. And therefore, that's what Rav Kafir is saying at the end over here. He's saying, if you're writing something, be careful about what it is that you're writing. Because if it's not good, God shouldn't be at the top of the page. If it's not po positive, it shouldn't be put at the top of the page. And he says himself, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just coming to explain why it wasn't done by our people. That's all I'm saying. It says, I'm writing to say why we don't do it. And there's perfectly good reason why we don't do it. As a matter of fact, there's reason why you shouldn't do it in various situations. Should be careful. Should be with intent. What I'm trying to do is kick the feet out from under those people who criticize us for not doing it. Literally is what he says. He goes, but there's no question about the fact that if in whatever it is that you're writing, there's even a small, even inkling of transgression involved or something against Torah involved, that's prohibited. You're not allowed to put God's name at the top of that page, says Rav Kafir. Then it's like what Hachamim say, where Shaul says to the sorceress, who's pulling up the soul of, of, of Shmuel, the Navi, I'm telling you, I'm the king. Hi Hashem, by God, nothing bad will happen to you. By God, God's the one who said you shouldn't do it. How are you swearing by God, telling her to do something against God? Not a good move, Saul. Not a good move. And so the Hachamim say, it's like, you know what that's like? Shaul, Shaul is like a woman Who's Yoshevet Beshek Ahuva, who's sitting in the in the hands of her of her lover that she's having an affair with, and she's swearing to him by the life of her husband, yeah, on whatever is going to happen to him. He brings the rugged shofi that says, It says that he never wrote this at the top of his pages, the rugged shofi. When he was asked why he doesn't, he goes, he goes, look, I can give you a very long answer to it. But the bottom line is you shouldn't, if you wrote one letter from the name of God, not sure that you're allowed to erase it. And so I don't want to put anything that has to do with God on the top of things, you shouldn't erase it. Rav Kafrach takes issue with that. 
And he says, the only thing that you're not allowed to erase are particular names of God. And when people write Bezrat Hashem, the hey on the top, or stands for heaven, not even God. Those are not things that are, are prohibited from being, you know, needing to be erased. You're allowed to erase those things. So that's not an issue. Klalosha, the bottom line, he says, there's nothing wrong with not writing it, he says, at the top of your paper. Quite the contrary. Based on the two reasons that I gave, there's even a praiseworthy point of not writing it on the top of the page, unless you actually really need to or you have to have intent. And based on that, I want to show you a Morene Bukhim. Because this also, by the way, it's not just about writing this on the top of the page. It's also saying constantly Baruch Hashem. How, I mean, you know, what is that? People say it all the time. And who are they talking about? And do they even have in mind when they say it, who they're talking about, what they mean when they say it? There's a reverence that has to be had for speaking about God. We can't say every five, two minutes, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. What? Who are we talking about? So take a look at the Rambam in the Morin Nebuchim. Uh, this is not what I wanted to show it. One second. This is what I wanted. I have to make sure that it comes up the right way. I hope it shows. Yeah. So take a look. This is the Rambam in the Morin Abuchim. And here he's talking about how people have to come to know God. And he says, there are those, a person who thinks about Hashem, and speaks about him constantly without knowing who he's talking about. Who you're talking about? Rather, you know, you just, you say Hashem. You never thought about who Hashem is or what Hashem is. You just, people use the thing and you say Hashem all the time. And you don't really know what it is. You haven't studied to understand what we mean when we say God. Or for that matter, it's just something that someone taught you. That may or may not be accurate. Says the Rambam, Harehu he goes, and far as I'm concerned, he's far from Rambam's in the middle of a whole analogy he's giving over here of how close one is to God based on a, uh, on a palace and the rooms of a palace and the city that the palace is in. And, you know, where is, a person is in proximity to the center of the king's throne in the palace, which is close to God. He says that person who talks about God all the time and says, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, without knowing who it is that he's speaking about, assuming that a person necessarily hasn't necessarily paid a great deal of time to intellectually and, and uh, carefully understand it, he's way out. He's not near the palace, says the Rambam. When he says it, he's not actually talking about God. Nor is he thinking about God. Whatever it is that a person has in mind when he says Baruch Hashem, Whatever it is he's speaking in his mouth, it's not what this source of being is that we call God. It's whatever a person, you know, dreamed up or imagined God is. So that's both in terms of writing it at the top of the page and saying it. Now, that's not to say that everybody who says Baruch Hashem is in this category. 
But one does have to be careful about speaking about God frequently and putting it as though it's filler in conversation when we're talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we speak about him with reverence and care and we're careful when we use his name. The name is a holy name. And that's why the Torah says, be careful about using the name. Be careful about speaking the name. Don't use it in vain. And to the contrary, and to the contrary, even though Hashem is not the name, Hashem stands in for the name, right? That's why it's the name. Literally, the word Hashem means the name, right? And to the contrary, and this is something that Sfaradim do, this is something that's very, very different among between the Sfaradim and the Ashkenazim in practice. The Ashkenazim usually will never say God's name when they're reading Psukim or they're talking about the Torah. They'll always say Hashem or Kel instead of, yeah, or, but the Sfaradim will always mention Akadosh Baruch Hu's name when reading Pesukim or speaking the Torah. We even use Akadosh Baruch Hu's name in our Pizmonim, right? When we sing these praises to God, we'll mention God's name in the praises, as it is. about that, that when a person reads a Pasuk, it is an insult to God not to say his name. So you never say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu. You say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That's the pasuk. Who are you talking about if not God? So you don't say something other than God when you're mentioning a whole pasuk. And Chama Badiaz Posek, even half a pasuk in the learning, you mention God's name. And in the middle of the learning, you mention God's name. Because that's the pair, that's the praise and the great, that's when you're supposed to say HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. So there's a whole thing over here, right? That's a bit topsy-turvy. At the end of the day, Rav Kafech points out, that if the writing the name of God at the top of the page is because I believe that God micromanages my life and he is the one that is controlling the success of my, of my endeavor right now, that isn't true. And that he proves from two, two points in Harambam and he says that that's not the belief of our people and therefore it shouldn't be done. And the second point is, you better be careful about putting God's name at the top of the page depending on what it is that you're planning on writing on that page because if there's anything slightly slightly out of order, do not put God's name on that page. And therefore, it's better safe than sorry, says Rav Kafer. And the better thing to do is not to put it at the top of our pages. And we have certainly what to rely on in recognizing all of our hachamim and all of the generations that came before, there was not one of them that put that stuff on the top of their page. There were those who wrote Adonai. Yeah, they looked forward to the coming of the Mashiach and the Geulah, but this is not something that we found that they wrote. And that is that. Beautiful, Rav. Thank you very, very much for that. Let's see if we've got any questions. I have a question. Please. One second, one second, one second. We have one moment, one moment. I'm just gonna see what, what, what is over here in the chat. And then we'll, we'll get a second. You can buy the Mishneh Torah of Kafe. Are you in Israel, Yoshua? No? Yes? Yeah, he is. He is. He is, he is. So you have to go to Kriyat, uh, you have to go to Kriyat Ono. You have to go to yeah, Kriyat yeah, I am. Sorry. Yeah. I couldn't unmute myself. Yeah. Where? Kriyat Ono. You have to go to where all the Temanim are. In Kriyat Ono. Rabbi, yeah, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, if, uh, let's say, I'm writing a message on my phone. Not yes. message, meaning I'm writing a letter to someone on the on the phone as a message. I mean, as a, on the 
as a writing on the phone. Is it okay to so to put the Bezrat Hashem or not it's necessary? All a question, it's, not, it's all a question of what you're writing and why you put it. What is in your mind when you put it? Why do you put it? I, I put it just to be, you know, like I feel it's something kadosh or something like it's so important. If, if, for are me. you writing something kadosh on your phone? Uh, not necessarily. No, it's not so really then, kadosh. So I feel you, it. You, you shouldn't put something kadosh on your phone or in what you're writing if what you're writing itself is not something of that nature. It lowers the kiddushah of what it is, or, or dishonors the kiddushah of what it is that you're putting on. No, let's say I have a group of devarim that we do every day. Like we read the whole, it's, it's uh, 34 people reach every day a parak. So the yeah. whole the whole thing that I keep sending, like uh, who read and who finished, who finished to read, he has to check out. So uh, on my on my beginning of the list, I said, you know, Bezrat Hashem and all the names and all, uh, you know, the. It's not a problem to put it on that if you feel like doing that. It's not a problem. Okay. No problem. Because I, I was doing it, so I now I felt like something. Okay. I should. Okay. It's okay. It's not terrible to do that. Okay. Charlotte Green, Thank but what about free will? Um, I don't know if that came in before. What is it? Nine oh one. Yeah, I mean, we believe in free will. Charlotte. Good to see you, Charlotte. I didn't know that you're here. It's nice to have mm -hmm. you on board. Um, Robert Sassoon. It is difficult to understand how some people can understand Hashem to micromanagement. I know it may be difficult to understand, but there are many, many people who do believe that. And uh, it's been going on for 900 years at least, because the Rambam says that he finds many people to do that. And I do find many people who believe that today. Those opinions could still hold that he guides us through whatever we want to do. The only difference is that he's directly involved. Yeah, so I think that uh, what, what I explained about help as opposed to micromanagement is important, right? There's a very big difference. The laws of nature are one thing, human actions are another. So, ah, uh, Charlotte, I, I'm not necessarily. Human actions draw from human nature. And that's what the Rambam is referring to. There is human nature. If there wasn't human nature, we couldn't study it. And we couldn't engage in even the soft sciences of psychology and so on and so forth. Yeah. So like Carl Jung writes, there's no such thing really, if we're going to look at human beings as a broad set of human beings, because we are so individualized and so specific as a result of the nature of the complexity of our brains, that you know, it's hard to be able to have any kind of a blanket treatment or study on humanity. Carl Jung writes this very, very clearly in The Undiscovered Self. But um, the very fact that we can have enough of consistency in the broad elements of humanity in order to be able to set up such a science or soft science like psychiatry, psychology, yeah, and the like, definitely shows us that there is a nature and that whatever the nature of the human brain is, has, is part of the nature of, of what is in creation. And that's what the Rambam is referring to. Avi Garson, perhaps they are only referring to the Varishut actions, not moral decisions. That is what is being discussed. What do you mean, Avi? I don't understand that. Well, it was relevant at the time when you were discussing that. Um, so this is a this is a minute by minute uh, running commentary. Running commentary. <laughs> I really do not think Hashem is responsible for my ice skating skills. For example, I don't think He's responsible for your ice skating skills either. But the fact that you have ice skating skills at all is part of the nature of human beings, right? And that's what 
we're talking about, right? That's the Ratzon Hashem, that's the desire of God. It may very well be that you might want to ask God to help you while you're skating. I don't know, but that's up to you, between you and God. I think the argument goes that God typically micromanages in accordance with our will in order to maintain the world as he wishes it to run. Explain, Rishmuli. Right, sorry, it was in response to the previous question okay. of, I don't understand how people can think that God micromanages and also have free will. So you were responding to that, okay. According to that, that, that thought. Yeah. Okay, okay. Any other questions before we close? Alan. Yeah, um, is, is another way of um, understanding what um, uh, Rambam and Rukafir are saying that um, God's name should never be invoked for profane purposes, and that we should maintain at all times the distinction between sacred and profane. He's certainly saying that. I mean, it's not the only thing that he's saying, but he's saying if you are going to engage, even if it's and and profane in the most basic sense, non-sacred, right? Yeah. Then God's name shouldn't be brought into that. Absolutely, he's saying why why would we why would we do that? It's disrespectful to do that. And it's inappropriate. And that's why at the very end, he says, you know something, it's better, it's like, it's praiseworthy not to engage in this practice because who are we kidding? You know, we, we constantly are falling into the profane. <clears throat> and so therefore it's better, you know, let God be God <laughs> and, and you could be, you know, it's okay. Yeah, but yes, I think that that's accurate to say. Um, yeah, I think, I think um, the Babich Rebbe was quite keen on people making, um, uh, the Bet Samoth Dalad on, on documents that they felt were important. Do you know anything about that? I don't. I don't. But again, that's something that's important to recognize that we're looking at this from our perspective. When I say our, I mean the traditional Sfaradi perspective. And this is our perspective. It's the way that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, our hachamim all acted and all did. And that's enough for us to be able to rely on it and recognize that not only just because that they didn't do it, we don't necessarily need to or should do it, but there's a reason why we don't do it. Now, that's not to take away from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but it's not our way. It's not our there. Yeah. Can I just, while I've got the floor, can I just say hello, hello to an old school friend, Alan Beckor, please? You can, I suppose. Ah. Nice right. to see you, sir. Yeah, hi, hi. <laughs> About 50 years ago. Sorry, Rabbi. That's quite all right. Always good to see old friends united. Yeah, all right, you. everyone. I thank you Rav, all for coming and participating you. tonight. I hope that you enjoyed. I hope that it brought some insight into a you know, very common practice. And, and also, we got a taste of Kafir, who is a, one of the great pillars and luminaries of our... Uh, of our of we our, have an essay about him in the journal. He's one of our hachamim. He is one of our core hachamim, absolutely. He's is a light to us. He's a light to us. Okay, Thank everyone. you, Rav. I, I want to just make a quick, uh, quick announcement that next week we've got Rav Yonatan Halevi uh, from Shviti out in America. Very, very honored to have him. He's going to be talking about the development of, uh, well, the arrival of the Shulchan Aruch on the Jewish world scene. Uh, so we'll be learning a little bit about the context, the background of where the Shulchan Aruch came from and, and the impact it's had. And the week after that, we'll have uh, Rav Dweck back uh, as part of the series discussing Hacham Ovadiyaz position on the road of Kabbalah in Halakha. Uh, anybody who is not in the WhatsApp group, please do email me, thebetmidrash at gmail.com. Uh, and on that note, thank you, everybody. Good night. And Rav, thanks again for a fantastic Sorry, year. Before you close, 
just a quick yes. favor. Could, could we have the um, the the tuba? Could could you put it on? Could we request it to go online for those of you who want to look at it? You have it's the shubar, right? Did you sit? I didn't see. The, did the PDF come out on the group? Sorry, I may have missed it. So the uh, screen I'll, I'll share that I was right doing is on that PDF that Avi set up. I don't know if he put it in the group, but we we can send it again. Don't worry. If you're on the group, last, I believe last week's PDF was missing a page. Did is it? Did we correct it? I I, I haven't been following the, the the. I'll send you everything. Great. Thank you. Sorry to to to. No yeah, worries. Very important. Good. We want we want people to have the sources. It's very important. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, Rav. Thank you.